We're really not being given informed consent. Now, I'm all about freedom of choice in medicine, and I think that if people are given informed consent, in other words, if they're provided all of the risks and all of the benefits of a, they can make up their own mind. I think people should have the freedom. Welcome to the What Up Doc University podcast, your number one resource for total body wellness. Here's your host, Dr. Mike. Aloha and welcome back to the What Up Doc University podcast. This is Dr. Mike Okuchi bringing you uh, a very, very requested episode with Ty Bollinger. And I know a lot of parents are reaching out to me and asking a lot of questions surrounding the idea of vaccination and immunization. So I wanted to get the guy who put out the the series, The Truth About Vaccines. Um, you know him. He was on, on a previous episode when we talked about The Truth About Cancer. He put out that series. If you guys haven't watched The Truth About Cancer, go ahead and watch that. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But he has a brand new series called The Truth About Vaccines, and it really gives an exposure to all aspects of the vaccine question. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it effective? And the science behind that. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to jump straight into the interview and uh, take it away, Ty. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the What Up Doc University podcast. Another great episode today. And this is our first time repeat guest. None other than Ty Bollinger. You guys heard the other episode with the truth truth about cancer and uh, amazing amount of downloads, and you guys had great feedback on that. But today we're talking a little bit about the truth about vaccines. You guys may have already seen it. I sent out the links to you guys. You guys um, probably took a watch on it, and uh, we're going to discuss a little bit about that. So welcome today, Ty. How are you doing today, Ty? Dr. Mike, I'm so honored to be the first repeat guest. I didn't know that. So thank you very much for having me you back on. Are. You are the first repeat guest after, what, 50-something episodes. You're the first repeat guest. Um, so let, let's kind of start with um, Truth About Cancer. Kind of tell us, uh, for, for those maybe they, this is their first time listening, tell us a little bit about Truth About Cancer, uh, that series, and, and what they can kind of expect from that in a nutshell. Sure. So Truth About Cancer is, um, I guess, it's a series of three documentary miniseries that we have uh, produced over the last three years. This one was called The Quest for the Cures, and then The Quest for the Cures continually is called Truth About Cancer, A Global Quest, which includes not only domestic travels, but, you know, global travels that I've gone across the, the world interviewing, you know, renowned experts and doctors and scientists about what they're doing to treat and prevent cancer, either naturally or in an integrated. So that, that is the truth about cancer. It all kind of stemmed from my personal losses of my father, my mother, my grandparents, my cousins, uncles. I mean, my whole family died from cancer starting about 20 years ago. And over the last two decades, it's just been you know my personal mission to get out there and try to shed the truth about cancer with as many people as possible. And the truth about cancer is that there are lots of different ways to treat cancer outside of the treatments. And our goal is just to educate and empower our people with knowledge and let them make up their own mind. So that's really the truth about cancer in a nutshell. 
Yeah, and, and um, for those of you guys who are listening uh, for your first time, I'll, I'll go ahead and put a link to that and uh, so you guys can take a look at it. Uh, very, very eye-opening experience, I know, for a lot of our patients uh, that come through our office. Um, I have them watch that, and mm. it's changed the course for a lot of them. You know, I had a couple patients where they were set on going the route of surgery, chemotherapy, radiation, and using uh, complementary alternative medicine alongside of it. And after watching that, they completely said no to the, the big three, and... They've done well. Right. Man. They've done well. So thank you again for making that series. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, Mike, I was – Yeah. Oh, you bet, man. I was, I was up in Toronto a couple of weeks ago. Just That, that just kind of triggered a memory for me. So my family and I, we, we all traveled to Toronto. I was speaking up at a total health at a big convention up there for health. And um, a, a, a person came up to me that was a cancer patient and said that, you know, in Canada, the oncologists, very much like in the United States, if, if you're a traditional oncologist, you can get in a lot of trouble, even lose your license, if you even start discussing non-conventional treatments with your patients. So he said what his oncologist does is, because his oncologist is a very outside-the-box type thinker, but just doesn't want to lose his license. So he plays the truth about cancer global quest on automatic stream in his waiting room as patients are waiting to get chemotherapy treatments. And, um, and so they're watching this documentary that we produced that's going into all the dangers of chemotherapy. So he's kind of figured out a workaround, which I think is really cool. He can't tell him about the dangers of chemotherapy, but he lets us tell him in the waiting room. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's just great the way that people are using this DVD series to help enlighten their patients. Perfect. That's, that's, yeah, and it's changing lives, man. It's changing lives. If you guys haven't watched that series, you guys got to get on it. Um, so why, what made you want to do this next series, The Truth About Vaccines? Well, Mike, I, I, I began to, as I traveled and interviewed doctors about cancer, I began to see a common theme, and that's that we, there, there's a link between vaccines and cancer. Now, the, the most obvious link, I think, to your, the common observer is the polio vaccine. Mm -hmm. So we, in the late 50s, the polio vaccine was introduced, and you know, the polio vaccine was contaminated with simian virus 40, SV40 has been linked to several different types of cancer over the last few decades. And those are, these are studies that have been published in the British Medical Journal, the New England Journal of Medicine, the Lancet, pretty reputable medical journals. So we, we have a definitive link between the polio virus or the polio vaccine and cancer because the polio vaccine was contaminated with simian virus 40. But there's other links as well. So when we look at the common vaccine schedule that today that is approved by the CDC, we see ingredients that are included in these vaccines that some of them are known carcinogens, like formaldehyde is in some vaccines. Well, we know that that causes cancer. Um, we have uh, ingredients that we know cause the immune system to be compromised, heavy metals like mercury. Um, we have aluminum that we know that causes a, a, a neurological cascade in the body. We know that there are other ingredients like um, uh, propylene glycol, which is in essence antifreeze that destroys the immune system. And so we've seen links. Now, of course, we, don't, we know that correlation is not causation, but there are, there are enough links and, and correlations between vaccines and damage to the immune system, damage to neurological system, that we need to do further investigation to see if 
in fact, vaccines are causing cancer. And we know that there are certain vaccines, and I can't, I don't want to name them specifically because I, I may name the wrong one, but there are, ser- there are several different vaccines in the schedule today that say on the package insert that it causes cancer in laboratory animals, but no human research has been done. So and my <laughs> yeah, question is... They're doing the research right now on us. That, well, you know what, Dr. Mike, that's, that's the sad truth is right. that we are the guinea pigs right now with vaccines, and yeah. they are doing the research now. And so, you know, the whole, the whole impetus behind the truth about vaccines was for us just to get, you know, the truth out there to people that vaccines have not been proven to be safe and effective. They, um, they, they have risks. They have some, but we need to be given informed consent. Yeah, and which and- is the risks and the benefits need to be presented to everyone Go ahead. Yeah, and I, I, you, you've said it clearly right there, the informed consent. And I don't think that a lot of parents, because, you know, because that's where vaccines are mainly marketed to is, is parents for their children. I don't think that informed consent is actually very clear because it's almost, you know, just like in the cancer world, it's almost this fear tactic. Like, hey, you need to get this vaccine for your child or else they're going to die. You know, I've heard that a lot. I've heard that firsthand as a parent. Um, and so that informed consent wasn't there. You know, there was nothing informing me about the risks and also the benefits as well. Right. What What else have you seen? Yeah, that, that's one of the main things that, that I've seen, uh, Dr. Mike, is that we're really not being given informed consent. Now, I'm all about freedom of choice in medicine, and I think that if people are given informed consent, in other words, if they're provided all of the risks and all of the benefits, of a, they can make up their own mind. I think people should have the freedom to vaccinate if they want to. Um, I might choose not to, but that's because maybe you've got information that other people haven't been provided. But I, I'm all about think that parents should be given that choice. What I'm really opposed to is this mantra that it's being forced down our throats vaccines are safe and effective vaccines are safe safe and effective they've been proven safe and effective when the reality haven't done studies to prove them safe and when they say that they're effective what that means is they create an antibody response which has been shown to not really have anything to do with protecting from a disease at times so we're we're we this this mantra is just repeated over and over and parents are told don't question vaccines the science is settled they're safe and effective give them and that's just not true and so I think that if, in order for a, a parent to make a, a, an educated medical decision regarding vaccines, because this is a medical intervention, they must be given all the benefits and the risks. And at this point, all we're done is we're given, here are the benefits. This is going to protect your kid from this disease. But they're not told any of the risks. So informed consent, by definition, is not happening. And here's what that means, Dr. Mike. If informed consent is not happening, then by definition, Vaccines are a violation of the Nuremberg Codes, which, is, which, which pro- prohibits medical experimentation. And that's exactly what's going on. We are mer- medical experiments because we are not being given the risks. And so informed consent is not happening. And this is a violation of everything that's true and good in medicine. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the series in and of itself. When, when, you, were, when you guys were filming it, what was the most surprising thing out of all of them, all of all the interviews that you did in, in the series? What was the most surprising thing that you found out? 
You know, one of the most shocking things to me, and this this is not that I, I didn't find this out, but this was just something that was, was reiterated over and over by almost everyone that I interviewed, and that's the fact that the vaccine manufacturers have no liability if their vaccine damages or kills your child. And so that really blows people away when they when they learn that for the first time. Back in 1986, Congress passed the Vaccine Act that exempted vaccine manufacturers from all liability. Um, and so if you can prove that the vaccine actually killed your kid now, you can't sue that manufacturer. So Congress set up what's kind of a, they call the vaccine trust, which is a stash of cash. So if the, if your kid or if you are damaged or killed, then you can go, you, you can sue and be remunerated for that, that damage, but it's not money from the vaccine manufacturers. The way that the vaccine fund is, or the vaccine uh, trust is funded is that there's a 75 cent per dose excise tax on every vaccine that's sold in the United States. And that goes into a, a stash of cash, basically a trust fund. And if, if, if a person is damaged or killed by the vaccine and that family sues, they, the money that's awarded comes out of that tax, that, that trust fund that's funded by taxes. It's not funded by the vaccine manufacturers and the vaccine manufacturers have no liability. This is basically a tax that you and I pay or not you and I, because I don't do vaccines, but the, the, the insurance company pays whenever they re reimburse a doctor for a vaccine, 75 cents per dose goes into this trust fund. And so that's what really blew me away, Dr. Mike, is the fact that vaccine manufacturers cannot be sued. They have no liability. And so if there's no liability, what incentive do they have to produce a cleaner, less toxic vaccine? And the answer is they have no incentive because they're not liable if a vaccine kills your kid. So they will make the cheapest vaccine possible to maximize profits. And as a result of that, we've got all kinds of additives and adjuvants in these vaccines that are toxic, but they're in there because they make it a cheaper vaccine. So let's go back actually to, you know, the whole Edward Jenner thing, you know, uh, mm -hmm. and let's let's kind of start there because I, I that's typically where you know, the vaccine story starts. Now, if, right. let, let's talk a little bit about that. Jenner, no, Edward Jenner, this is in the late 1700s, early 1800s, I believe, if I got the time period correctly. So he's in England. He noticed that uh, the maidpox, the milkmaid that got cowpox, it had a tendency not to get smallpox, so he said, "Well, maybe if we, if we uh, inoculate the the a person with cowpox, they won't get smallpox." So it was a very crude method of uh, inoculating back then. It wasn't a vaccine as we think of with a needle. What they would do is they would scrape pus from a from a cowpox wound, and uh, or from a cowpox, and they would they would uh, just scratch the skin enough to make to where you could it bled a little bit, and they would rub the pus from cowpox into this wound of someone else and hope that it would protect them from smallpox. I mean, this was the, the inception of vaccines. Um, it didn't work very well. There were huge outbreaks of smallpox after they began to vaccinate with live viruses. Um, as a matter of fact, in the, in the Truth About Vaccines, I showed the graphs were all over England. There were um, huge outbreaks of smallpox and there were an increased number of deaths from smallpox compared to before the, the beginning of vaccination for smallpox. So it didn't work very well, and that's because they were using a live virus and they, were not, they did not know how to attenuate it or to weaken it. 
But that's the beginning of, of what we call vaccination. I work well, and, and we, show, we show in the truth about vaccines based upon figures from the Registrar General of England that what really worked to wipe out smallpox in that area of the world was quarantine and isolation. And so when somebody got sick, as you keep them by themselves. Don't let them spread it to other people. And also we've shown, we showed throughout the truth about vaccines, that many of these epidemics, including smallpox, but not, not limited to smallpox, we're talking about measles, pertussis, which is whooping cough, others, well, were really eradicated or lessened dramatically, not totally eradicated, but they were they dramatically lessened because of the improvements in sanitation, hygiene, clean water. People were no longer drinking water contaminated with fecal material and so forth. That's what really wiped out these epidemics. And the bar graphs show that. I mean, we see that the measles vaccine, the protexine, the mumps vaccine, the years that they were introduced, the deaths from those diseases had pretty much flatlined. I mean, they were, they were almost non-existent. And so what gave rise to the decrease in deaths from those diseases? Well, it couldn't have been the vaccine, Dr. Mike, because it hadn't been introduced yet. What had happened during that period of time? And what happened is that we began to clean up the, the water and we began to get better uh, sanitation practices and, and, you know, sewage systems and, and um, people weren't, weren't living in filth any longer. And that's what really was spreading disease. It was, it was contaminated water and sewer systems. It was not um, the vaccine that wiped out these, these diseases. It was improved sanitation. It was quarantine. It was isolation. All of these things that we practice today. Yeah, so when we talk about the the idea of vaccinations and um, and and creating immunity, we we always have to go back and and look at the contemporaries of the time of how it even started. This whole idea of uh, a bug, you know, the germ theory. So you know, you got Louis mm -hmm. Pasteur versus Antoine Bichamp, and the contemporaries of the time saying, "Hey, is it the bug?" that's creating the disease or is it the terrain that's allowing the proliferation of the bug so what's yep. what take t talk to our listeners a little bit about the whole pasteur Bechamp thing yeah and that we did not include that <laughs> that discussion in the online version of the truth about vaccines but in the extended version that we have on the DVDs, we did talk about that. We just had to cut them down for online because you can't be showing something that's two and a half hours online. You lose people's attention. So that part got cut, but we did discuss that. So, and, and that's a very important part of the discussion. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, Bouchamp said, hey, it's the terrain. Pasteur said, no, it's the bug. So what, what does that mean? What does that mean to you and I? Well, it means that, look, measles is, a, is not a deadly disease in the United States. But measles in Africa sometimes kills. Yeah. You know, it kills lots of kids. Why? Is it a different measles virus? No, it's the same virus. So what's different? What's the terrain of the person that catches the measles? It's the immune system. It's the body of that person, the state of the body. And so in the United States, the reason that measles does not kill is because generally we have access to good food and clean water and mm -hmm. We're not drinking uh, water that's contaminated with feces. And the, our immune systems, even though we're not, I wouldn't say that we're a healthy nation by any means, we're not uh, having uh, problems that third world countries have because of lack of fundamental um, health. Uh, what would you, what would you call clean water, clean air, clean sanitation? Just yeah. 
just basic medical necessities, I guess is what you would call it, right? We have that. We take that for granted. But in a third world country, you know, they may not have any clean water to drink for days. They may be. They may find a pool where it's contaminated, and they, they drink it. They're, they may be starving. I mean, the kids are starving all over the world. We we have no idea how good we have it here. But in a body where there's not any clean water, that it, you're starving and you have no nutrition, any virus can be a deadly virus. Not just measles, but any virus can because your body is already compromised. Your immune system's already fighting just to keep you alive, and that's the difference. And so. That is, that's the fundamental difference to, as to why I believe we have outbreaks of some of these what used to be deadly diseases for us, but they're no longer. I mean, kids don't die from measles or pertussis in the United States anymore. I mean, occasionally we have one death or two deaths every few years. It's, it's very, very small. But compared to other countries, we have almost no deaths. And the reason is because we have those basic medical necessities, clean water, clean um, food accessible all the time. Even people that live in poverty in the United States have those things, whereas in third world countries, they don't. And that's the difference. Their terrain, their body is already compromised so that measles, rubella, whooping cough, any of these viruses could be a deadly virus because it's already in a compromised terrain. And one thing I want to make clear for for people listening, and you said it when you were speaking about measles, is that when we talk about the issues surrounding about vaccinations, we're not discounting the idea that these diseases are not real. You know, these are, these are infectious diseases, measles, mumps, rubella. Uh, they, they're very real diseases. Uh, and they're, they're, there's an infectious organism behind it. But what we're also trying to say is that the, the vaccines in and of itself may not be the ultimate answer. Right. You know, it, it, it always comes down to that's correct. You know, it always comes down to, well, how how are we allowing these things to proliferate? So that's when we're, you know, we're talking about the terrain. It's kind of like, you know, mold on bread. You know, it's like the, the, the bread becomes a host, you know, the 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 um, the environment <laughs> for the mold. It becomes very opportunistic for it to grow. And that's that's what's happening in these communities. And that's why, you know, like you said, we're, we still, we still see measles, right? You know, there's been outbreaks here and there, but it's not like people, it's not like this ravaging um, epidemic that's going on. But with that said, we've seen these like mini outbreaks, you know, here in California, we had that whole Disneyland measles debacle which then spurred this conversation into a bill, you know, the SB 277. Um, mm-hmm. and, and now we got other, you know, bills coming into play. Let's talk a little bit about that, about how now government is stepping in to almost put this mandate on medical care. Okay, sure. And yeah, you're right. The, the Disneyland outbreak from a few years ago with the measles is what gave rise to Senate Bill 277 in California and the, the mandatory vaccines. But as you mentioned, in the United States, measles is not typically a deadly disease. Not to discount um, someone that dies from measles because it does happen, but it's rare. But what that did, and, and even though despite the fact that the majority of the people that got measles in that Disneyland outbreak were fully vaccinated, you know, that's not talked about. But, but that, that's the reality is that, the, that most of the people that had gotten measles were vaccinated for measles. They used that as an opportunity to mandate 
you know, to pass Senate Bill 277 and mandate vaccines. Now, here's a question that I want everybody to think about that's listening to this. If, if the vaccine protected you from measles, then why do you care if someone else is vaccinated for measles? But mm. you shouldn't, right? I mean, let's just, let's, let's think logically. If, you, if the vaccine protects, then why do you care if anyone else is vaccinated? It shouldn't matter. But the reality is we're seeing that the vaccine actually not only doesn't protect, but the vaccine for measles actually can cause the recipient to shed measles for up to five weeks after he or she receives the vaccine. In other words, a person that receives the measles vaccine can be a silent carrier of measles and spread it to everyone that he or she contacts for the next five weeks without even knowing that they're a silent carrier. So I would assert that we're more at risk from someone that's been vaccinated for measles than for someone that has not been vaccinated because that person is now carrying the measles virus. It's a live virus and can spread it secretly, clandestinely, without knowing for five weeks after being vaccinated. But the reality is, if the vaccine worked, we shouldn't care about any of that if it worked, but it doesn't. Hey, I wanted to take this short break from our episode today to talk to you guys a little bit more about the Organifi green drink. And this is a gently dried superfoods green powder that I personally use every single day that I recommend in my practice as my alternative to the multivitamin because it's packed with nutrients like chlorella, moringa, and spirulina, which are pretty much some of the top superfoods that we have today and exposed um, in the nutritional industry. It's really, really great tasting, which is, you know, for me as a practitioner, it's very important that helps with um, patient compliance. Um, but we got stuff, like I said, chlorella, moringa, spirulina, uh, beets, matcha, green tea, wheatgrass, ashwagandha, turmeric, lemon, and coconut-infused crystals within this powder. And it's so easy. It takes the place of juicing, so you don't have to go to the market and grab a whole bunch of this you know, a plethora of vegetables. You can just open up a packet or open up the container, take a scoop out, put it in your rice milk or almond milk or coconut water and just drink that and it tastes great. Uh, you can also add it into uh, like vanilla protein shakes, which is what I do. Uh, my kids love it. It tastes great. And it's something that I think that everybody should have in their nutritional regimen. So this is one of the things that I highly, highly recommend. If you go to www.whatupdocuniversity.com forward slash green drink, you can get 15% off your order and get this shipped directly to your door. So again, go to www.whatupdocuniversity.com forward slash green drink and get your green juice delivered to your door. All right. Let's go back to the interview. And, you know, there, there's, this is such a, it, it's a frustrating subject, I know, for a lot of parents, um, because you do have mm -hmm. a, a population of children that getting a vaccine is not recommended. And uh, now we're passing laws that's, that's really taking out the, you know, the, the, the 
I guess the the thought process or the the judgment of a qualified medical practitioner to really say, mm-hmm. hey, you know what? I don't. I I honestly think as a medical professional that this person qualifies for a medical exemption because of either past history mm-hmm. or past family history, but that's kind of being being taken away solely by solely. This is what I'm seeing here in, you know, in, in California. I've, I'm yeah. seeing practitioners being mm-hmm. muzzled, um, being threatened by, with their uh, licenses being taken away. So what, you know, cause this was, yeah. a, this was a big question for, from the audience. They're like, what do we do now? If, if we do really need that medical exemption, what do we do now? Yeah, you know, Dr. Mike, I don't know what the, the law is now in, in California, but that, that is a great question because what they've done is they have, they've really taken the individualized concept of medicine and they've thrown it in the toilet and they said, look, everybody gets this. I mean, can you imagine if, they, if, if the government in California, you know, mandated tomorrow, every child will be on, on Cipro, antibiotic, okay? No, we don't look at any individualized person. We don't look at their uh, genetics. We don't look at whether they may have an allergy to Cipro. But everybody now, in order to go to school, needs to be on Cipro antibiotic. And not only that, um, we're concerned about the mental health of all the children, so we're going to put every child on uh, Prozac. And it, no individual, individualized medicine. We're not going to do any individual analysis. It's just every child now, in order to go to school in California, must now be on Cipro and on Prozac. I mean, can you imagine that? But that's exactly what they've done with vaccines. They've, they, they said every child has to take this list of vaccines. We're not going to look at the, the child's genetic predisposition. We're not going to look at any other factors. This is just blanket across the board. Everybody gets, every child gets this one particular vaccine or two or 10 or 69 vaccines, as we see today. And we're, not, we're, we're, we're taking um, any kind of a medical analysis, any kind of a doctor's opinion out of the equation. That's absurd. But that's exactly what we've done in California, and that's what other states are proposing. You know, Mike, I don't know what the answer to that is, but I just know that, that um, you know, the reality is if I were in California at this point and, um, and I had a child that had to go to school, I'd, I, would, I would probably have them we, – we homeschool already, so I would have them homeschooled. I wouldn't allow that to happen. But from what I understand, you know, they're even looking at going after homeschoolers in California now. Is, is that correct? That is correct. That is correct. Yeah. And that's mm. and, wow. and, and and because of that fact, I've had a lot of families actually they're leaving California for other states um, because of that main reason. And then now, you know, we got the other mm. bill right around the corner, the SB 18, um, which which poses another another issue in that. And. You know, I, I always tell our, our families, I say, you know what, it's not necessarily just about the vaccines. It's about medical choice, because like you said right there, if if this is in place and now it's like, what else can we mandate? Like, you know, can we mandate the mandatory uses of vaccines or can we mandate, hey, you know, we we see um, we see a rise in cholesterol and, and there's there's an issue with that. So now every single yeah. person needs to be. Let's on a put them on statins. Yeah, exactly. So it's like it's this slippery slope that we're stepping into that I don't think a lot of people see the bigger picture. You know, they're just looking at, oh, well, you know, it's the 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 anti-vaxxers versus the vaxxers. And it's and it's not necessarily about just that conversation. It's a bigger, bigger picture. It's a bigger issue here. It's about fundamental medical rights of 
are, That's right. are, you know, are we relinquishing our rights to not even, not even the medical practitioner, but the government in and of itself, because now they become the medical governing board over everyone else. And that's the scary mm -hmm. part. That's the scary part about it all. That's right. Now l let's talk. It a little is, that is Dr. Mike. It is. Yeah. L let's talk a little bit about like stuff like, you know, workers, right? They, they or, or having to go to school. You have all these institutions that require ra vaccinations. What do people do about that if, you know, they they don't either philosophically they don't want to or medically they don't they 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 can't get a vaccine. What do they do then? Well, you know, we there there still are, thank goodness, a lot of uh, different exemptions, even for the workplace. You know, you have you have you do have medical exemptions, you have philosophical, you do have religious exemptions, depending upon whether it's a governmental entity or a private um, company, and so forth. So there's a lot of different variables. But um, you know, for instance, I've got a good friend that's a medical doctor in Texas, and they were trying to mandate you know the the flu vaccine for for all medical workers, which they do. You know, nurses and doctors have to be fully vaccinated, and he just said no. You know, he said, I'm not taking it. He said, I know it, the vac it's a, it's a crapshoot. It doesn't work half the time at least, and it's toxic, and there's aluminum in it, and there's some formaldehyde in the multi-dose flu shot. And he was telling them all this stuff that they didn't even know. I mean, these doctors that were given the vaccines didn't know that the multi-dose flu shot has 250 times the allow allowable amount of, of mercury in it that the EPA considers to be hazardous waste, but that we're injecting that into people through a needle. I mean, they didn't know this, but my friend that's a doctor, he just said, no, I'm not taking it. And they said, well, you can't work at our hospital anymore. And he said... Okay, fine. I'll take all my business elsewhere. And at that point, he was the highest revenue generating doctor for their hospital. And they had a meeting and they reconsidered and they said, okay, we'll exempt you. You don't have to take the flu vaccine. So it, sometimes it's nothing more than just saying, no, I'm not going to do it and let the cards fall where they may. And I think we have to be prepared to do that. Yeah, yeah. That is very, very true. Um, I got a question here from the audience. Uh, they're asking, where can they get more information? But you talked about uh, the homeoprophylactis, you know, the, the, where can they get more information about that? Mm -hmm. Like what, what type um, of practitioners are providing these that, and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's homeopaths that are providing it. If uh, homeoprophylaxis is a lot of great stuff out there from Scylla Watcott, who's who uh, has a foundation that deals with homeoprophylaxis. Her name is Scylla, C-I-L-L-A, Watcott, W-H-A-T-C-O-T-T. If you just did a Google search for her name, I can't remember what her foundation is, but she has a lot of information out there about homeopathy, which is very interesting, too, because it's using homeopathic nodes to stimulate the immune system in much the same manner that vaccines are you know, theoretically do, but without all the toxicity. And so it's a great option. And we did discuss that in um, episode seven of the truth about vaccines. Yeah. And I mean, if you go back in history, in back when, you know, before the, um, the Flexner report, you know, the, most of the medical schools had homeopathic doctors in there and that that's exactly what they're doing. You know, I work with a lot of homeopaths and They've done this for years upon years and have been successful with it. So it's a very, very um, viable, sure. viable route that people can take. Um, yeah. here's, here's another question from people. Yeah, you know, as a matter of fact, yeah. too, Dr. Mike, um, let, let me chime in real quick. We're, we're on a little bit of a delay here. So that's why I'm sorry if it sounds like I'm talking over you, but oh, no, we're, we're on about a second delay. So 
with homeoprophylaxis, you know, if you look at the Spanish flu epidemic of the, about 1918, this is right after the Flexner Report where the medical school curriculum was co-opted and they began to phase out homeopathy, but it was still being used. And if you look at the mortality rate from the Spanish flu in 1918, those that use conventional medicine, whether it be a flu vaccine or other methods to treat or uh, protect from the flu, they had a, there was a 30% mortality rate at that time. And uh, this is documented in the American Medical, Journal of the American Medical Association, Journal of the American Homeopathic Medical Association. But those that used homeopathy had a 1% mortality rate. So homeopathy was 30, 30 times more effective at the Spanish flu than conventional medicine at that time. I just think that's interesting. That's one case where we have side-by-side -side analysis of these two methodologies to treat the flu, and homeopathy was much more effective. <laughs> very, very interesting. What's um, what from you know your investigation in the series? What have you found? Okay, so if you have parents that say, "Well, I want to do," um, I feel more comfortable by having vaccinations. Um, what have you found to be the best alternative schedule that practitioners were recommending? Well, you know, if you look at, and I interviewed Dr. Paul Thomas and uh, Jennifer Margulis, yeah. who um, they co-authored a book called The Vaccine-Friendly Plan. And so what they do is they delay vaccines. They spread them out. They, they delay the MMR till, till past three years old. They don't do the rotavirus. They don't do hepatitis B at birth. They have a, just a, an alternate plan. And what he shared was that um, since they've been doing this, and I think they have, they have a, over 13,000 patients that they've treated, you know, infants and, and children that are their patients, that I think he shared that they've only had, they, they don't have any autism in the patients that they've always been there at their clinic. They found one case of autism in, in some, in children that did the vaccine-friendly plan, but it was at another another doctor and then came to them after the vaccines. But they've had um, about, in, the, in those that do the regular schedule, they have about one in 60 that are autistic, and that's about what we find nationally. So they, he has seen a huge difference in just spreading out the vaccines and, and the effect that that has, particu uh, particularly on autism. So I'd just recommend if somebody wants to learn about that, you can Google the, the vaccine-friendly plan, Dr. Paul Thomas, Dr. Jennifer Margulis. You mm. can get that book, and they d detail what they recommend. Vaccine-friendly plan. Okay, I'll put that in the, I'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. Um, have, have you found any studies that have actually shown, and it has to be unbiased, but it has, has it shown to be any vaccines to be safe and effective? Um, let's see. Uh, I think that Dr. Paul Thomas, one of the vaccines that he feels has been pretty effective and relatively safe, even though it does have too much aluminum, is the, the Hib vaccine. Okay. Um, Haemophilus influenza B. And mm -hmm. so that's one that, that he gives. Um, and he said that, that that one has been relatively safe. Um, other than that, I'm not sure. I mean, he gives the MMR, but it's only after three years. He gives the DPT, but it's only after uh, it's, it's at a later age. He does, um, he does do certain vaccines that he feels aren't necessarily all that safe, but he gives the parents the option to still get the vaccines for the kids, but he spreads them out. But um, that was one that he mentioned specifically that he believes is safe, um, even though he did mention that there's too much aluminum in it. And so the problem, Dr. Mike, is the fact that we, we have not done studies on the synergistic effects of the different toxins in the vaccine. So, you know, you have a vaccine that might have 
aluminum in it, and it also has mercury in it, and it also has you know polysorbate 80 in it. Well, we haven't done studies to see what's the synergy of those three uh, chemicals that are in or adjuvants that are in the vaccine. Well, we know aluminum is neurotoxic, and we know that aluminum plus mercury is even more neurotoxic. And we know that aluminum plus mercury plus polysorbate 80 acts as a carrier to get the aluminum and the mercury through the brain, blood-brain barrier and deliver it to the brain. is extremely neurotoxic. But we haven't done the studies. We just know, based upon the science, that we know, we know that, we know that uh, pharmaceutical companies use polysorbate 80 to make a drug pass through the blood-brain barrier. But polysorbate 80 is in vaccines, but we're told that that doesn't affect the brain. How can that be so? Because the, the explicit use of polysorbate 80 is to get things to pass through the blood-brain barrier. And so if you have polysorbate 80 that's used in a vaccine along with a no, aluminum that's a known neurotoxin, of course it gets into the brain. But we haven't done the studies to determine what's the effect on the brain. And that's why we need to do more studies. They have not been done. Why do you think that is? Well, polysorbate 80 is an emulsifier, so it helps the, the, the uh, liposoluble, the fat-soluble, and the water-soluble components to mix. And so that way, you know, when you have a multi-dose shot, you, can, you draw out into the syringe, you get equal parts of the water-soluble and the fat-soluble emulsifier. It, it helps them to mix. The problem is it's also something that's used to get chemicals into the brain. And that's, that's the problem is that we have not done the studies on these on these vaccines that contain formaldehyde or and polysorbate 80, and what effect does that have on the brain? We're told they're safe and effective, but the studies have not been done to prove they're safe and effective. That's just it's repeated to get people to do vaccines. The studies have not been done. So you know, I, there's there's a lot of people out there that are so you know they're very very anti-vaccine, you know, and um, you know you, you got people like Jenny McCarthy who is very very public about not ever vaccinating because vac, vac, uh, you know, she's claiming that vaccines has caused her son to become autistic. Um, and then you got people mm-hmm. on the other side that's saying every single person needs to be vaccinated. And uh, if, if they're not, they're a threat to society. Where do, you, where do you think people should fall in this whole issue? And, and what should guide that? Okay, number one, I, I believe that no one should ever be forced to do any kind of a medical procedure against their wish. That is, that is being a forced guinea pig. And I think that it, that is antithetical to everything that the United States stands for when it comes to freedom. It's forcing anybody to do anything medically ever. Um, that being said, um, when, we, when we look at, you know, Jeannie McCarthy and, uh, and her son, and look at cases like Hannah Poling case, which was the first case in 2008 where the vaccine court awarded $1.5 million to the family of Hannah Poling because they determined that the MMR vaccine had, had caused autism. That, this was a ruling of the vaccine court. They said the, the MMR caused autism. So anytime you have somebody says, well, vaccines have never been linked to autism, that's just a lie. It's just, it, it may not be a lie to them. It may just be inactive. They don't know, but it's not correct. Yes, they have. We, we know that the vaccine court awarded Hannah Poling's family $1.5 million because the vaccine caused autism. And, and her father, by the way, is a Harvard-trained medical doctor. He's not, a, you know, he's, he's not a used car salesman or you know, working at Walmart. Nothing wrong with those professions. But he's a medical doctor. And Hannah Poling was actually uh, a, a long-term study on, on the, brain, the brain development in children before her vaccination. 
So they have studies to show before and after what her brain looked like, and it's clear that the vaccine caused autism. And so that was one case. We also have the CDC whistleblower story of Dr. William Thompson that released documents a few years ago that the CDC knew, and you can look this up. Anybody that's listening can just look this up. The CDC knew in 2004 in black baby boys at the rate of three times it was causing autism in the other baby boys. And yes, it was causing autism in the other babies as well, but it was just causing autism at a higher rate in black baby boys specifically. And the CDC buried the data. They literally got together and threw all of the documents into a trash can and threw them away uh, to cover up the, the, the data that showed that the, the MMR vaccine. Anybody that says that there's never been any studies linking the, the uh, vaccines to autism, they're either repeating inaccurate information because they just don't know, or they're blatantly lying about it because that's just not true. The, they're, they're, the vaccines have been linked to autism, and there's other sort of studies that show a link as well. That's just a couple. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, you know, we don't, we as a public are, are fed the information through and it's filtered through the media and the media often sensationalizes, you know, things like the measles outbreak. And then, you know, it puts, it, it mm -hmm. puts this, uh, it's put this idea within the public. And, and I've seen, I've seen families where, they and they told me that they've had friends who told them that their their child who was they chose to not vaccinate that their child could not play with their you know their other their other children because they they weren't vaccinated yeah. you know and i i right. i find that very interesting cuz you said it, you said in the beginning of the, of of the show on how well if if your child is vaccinated why are you so scared of the unvaccinated one you know well, and right that, that that's 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 a common thing right let's 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 um i know we're running short on time here but let's kind of wrap it up and, and um talk about it, one of the big issues that people talk about is herd immunity let's talk a little bit about that mm -hmm. okay so the issue of herd immunity is if um if, if I think I think what the issue of herd immunity is today, at least the definition of herd immunity, is if at least 95 percent of the of the population is vaccinated, then the the herd is immune to that particular disease. Yeah. Okay. That's the concept. The reason that I'm not sure about it is it's just completely made up and it keeps changing. So herd immunity started 80 years ago to 100 years ago, and it was a study by a doctor, and I think his name was Hedgecock, but I can't remember. Um, he was studying measles, and he was studying um, natural exposure to measles and how that affected the population in general. And what he found is that if at least 68% of the population had been exposed to and or contracted measles, that that herd was then immune to measles if 68% if had had natural exposure. This was about 80 years ago, I believe in the 1940s. But you can look it up. You can look up when herd immunity started, and you can read about this. Somehow, and, and, and that's what he found, 68% was the magic number. Somehow, Dr. Mike, over the last 80 years, that 68% has morphed into 95%, and the natural exposure has morphed into vaccination. And so now this concept of herd immunity means something totally different than it was ever. In, and now we believe that if at least 95%, which is some made-up magic number that's never had any research done on it, if at least 95% of the population has been vaccinated, 
for a certain disease that the herd is immune. But it's just not true. There's no studies that have been done on that 95% magic number. And the studies that were done 80 years ago was on natural exposure, not vaccination. So they've totally bastardized the term herd immunity. It does not mean what it originally meant. It's like conventional medicine or traditional medicine, right? We're told that chemotherapy is the traditional treatment for cancer. Well, you know what? No, it's not. Traditional means something that's been used for traditions. Chemotherapy has been used for less than 100 years. That's not traditional. Traditional medicine is herbal medicine. That's been used for traditions, but they bastardized that term. And so now traditional treatment for cancer is chemotherapy. Like herd immunity is somehow 95% vaccination. That's not what it was ever intended to mean. Exactly. You hit the nail on the head. Uh, any last, uh, last words you want to leave our audience with surrounding this topic about the truth about vaccines? You know, Dr. Mike, what I would like to leave people with is that please educate yourself on vaccines. There's, the information is out there. Go watch the Truth About Vaccines uh, docu-series. It's a seven-part docu-series. And just empower yourself with knowledge so that you can discuss these things with your pediatrician and make up your own mind. And, and if you have a pediatrician that tries to bully you into vaccinating your child and says, if you don't vaccinate your child, you're not welcome at this practice, thank them and say, bye-bye. I hire you, you work for me, and if you're going to treat me that way, I'll find another pediatrician. Don't be bullied into it by some insecure piece of filth pediatrician that tries to bully you into doing something that you don't want to do for your child. Because the reality is that same thing happened to us. And uh, I didn't know any better. My wife didn't know any better. And this was 16 years ago with our first child. And we were bullied into vaccinating our eldest daughter. And it, it affected her. We, she's not autistic by any means. She's very brilliant. But we saw signs of regression immediately after she was vaccinated. We got bullied. Don't let yourself be bullied. Educate yourself ahead of time. There you go, guys. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes uh, to where you guys can go and, and watch the series. This is something that you guys definitely have to do. Uh, like, like Ty said, you got to get educated because um, if you're going into something, and this is this is an analogy I give to patients. I say most people actually get more educated about the TV that they're gonna buy than their own health. You know, people, do, yeah, they do more research on like the specs of the TV. Does it have 4K? Is it a 240 hertz refreshing rate? And they go in and they, then they drill. Yep. They drill the, the sales agent at like Best Buy about all these different things. Yet when they walk into their doctor's office, they just lie there and they say, doctors do whatever you want, whatever you want. And, and, and that's what I'm saying, guys. You guys got to get educated about your health. Yeah, that's right. That's and, that, right. and that's part of informed consent. You know, if you're not informed, don't consent. That's, the, that's, that's all to it. And that's what – That's right. Know, that's what Ty's doing. That's with right. And, you know, Dr. Yeah. Mike, let me, let me throw this in real quick. Yeah. Let me throw this in real quick. Sorry, again, it's kind of difficult. I know we're on a delay here because of my Skype. My, my internet connection is bad today. But you're, you're exactly right, Dr. Mike. People do research on a TV. They're going to buy a home. They do the research. They, they're going to buy a car. They, they do their due diligence. Do your due diligence on vaccines. And here's what I would ask you. Go to your pediatrician next time your pediatrician wants to vaccinate and say, okay, doctor, I will be happy to vaccinate if we'll, you'll go over all the ingredients in this vaccine with me and tell me the potential risks and benefits. And the reality is 99% chance he or she doesn't even know what's in the vaccine. And at that point, you say, doctor, my mechanic knows what kind of screws to put in my car and what kind of oil to put in my car. 
My chef knows what kind of ingredients to put into my recipes. Why don't you know what's in the vaccine that you're about to inject my child with? And you have a discussion. Yep, exactly. Cool. Hey, Ty, I want to thank you again for your time, uh, you know, for the second time uh, being on the show and sharing with us and also, you know, taking the time and effort and putting yourself out there to make these series for us, The Truth About Cancer, The Truth About Vaccines, 